Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to this episode on burnout. And I wanted to include burnout because stress, exhaustion, burnout, it's such a, a big thing in our society and it has a massive impact on our ability to enjoy sex and pleasure. And women contact me saying that they don't feel like sex, they don't feel any sexual desire. And when I chat with them and find out how tired they are, how stressed they are, how exhausted they are, it's no wonder that they don't feel like sex. And often they don't make the link and feel like that there's something up with them that they should be able to cope better or achieve more or do more. But actually what's unsustainable is that the, the life that they're living, and many of them are on the route to burnout, but the symptoms that they're experiencing are so normalized in our culture that they don't notice them or they don't appreciate the impact these things are having on their health. They're just, let's just get on with this. And so I really wanted to include this topic and I'm really delighted today to have this conversation with Jalinda Johnson, who is a life and health coach who specializes in burnout and also in perimenopause um, because there's, she's going to explain in the podcast the significance of burnout at the perimenopausal stage for women. However, this conversation is relevant to all ages um, because burnout's a thing that affects everybody. And Jalinda shares her definition of burnout and how it differs from the mainstream definition of burnout. And I think it's really great how she describes burnout and important for us all to hear. Jalinda also talks about how to spot the early warning signs of burnout with the view to stopping it going further, the four stages of burnout and some really practical advice on burnout recovery. And we talk about how burnout affects sex, burnout at perimenopause, and also Jalinda's take on menopause and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Welcome to today's podcast. And I am very happy to be joined today by Jalinda Johnson. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's so nice to be here. Oh, it's absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to diving into this topic today and the umbrella topic being burnout and all the work that you do around this. So first of all, I'd love you to tell my listeners about yourself, what it is that you do. Well, I am an award-winning certified life coach, a certified holistic health coach and a priestess. And I help people get back their spark so they can go set the world on fire. <laughs> so I'm passionate about helping um, people in midlife, primarily change makers, revolutionaries, those who really feel called to share their soul's purpose in a bigger way. If only they could uh, heal their relationship with their bodies and get their physical symptoms under control. 
So that's where I combine the health coaching and the life coaching and the spiritual work, because I really believe that well-being comes from uh, a union of the mind, body and the soul. Mm, thank you well there's so many questions I want to ask already um, but I'd love to just find out I always love to ask how did you get into this work and to hear a little bit about your journey well I first did my certification um, as a holistic health coach back in 2012 because I was at that time obsessed with food and nutrition and the world of wellness which I <laughs> I have since um, I've left the world of wellness um, because I didn't realize how much harm I was doing in believing that there was only one way to eat. Um, that even though we talk about bioindividuality, there's also this uh, assumption that if you would only eat the right foods, then you would experience a certain level of health, which is not true. Um, but uh, that's really where it started. I, I wanted to know how to um, use my knowledge around food in a way that would help people um, experience wellness on their own terms. And as I started working with clients, I realized that I was lacking a lot of the the tools that would help me to connect with them on a deeper emotional level that a lot of our choices regarding nutrition don't have to do with lack of knowledge, but really with other factors, especially stress. And when the emotional brain takes over and we're looking for uh, a way to disconnect or to feel safe, that a lot of times that will trump what we know about the benefits of green juice. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know what's happening of course in our in our work in our relationships um and our own relationship with our bodies you know it's really hard to nourish something that you don't have any respect for or that you feel like has betrayed you um or that you have never really loved right so um having the tools to address those issues was uh game changing for me in my practice as a coach. And that's when I did my life coach certification with Beautiful You Coaching Academy. Um, and then um, as I continued working with clients, I realized there was this other realm that was calling me um, because I've always been highly sensitive, highly intuitive. And I um, started working with Oracle cards and every time I pulled an Oracle card, it was always spot on um, for me. Then I started doing it for my clients and also for them. Um, and I thought, what's this about? Then I had clients who wanted to reconnect with their spirituality, who wanted to incorporate prayer, who um, not only wanted to know the benefits of meditation, but really wanted to um, connect with their own intuition and their higher self on a more regular basis. And I thought, okay, if this is something that's interesting me and something that they're also asking for, then what's the next step? And I was divinely led to um, a 14 month journey by the Priestess Temple School. And um, I was mentored as, in my remembering as a priestess. I always feel like being a priestess isn't something you become, it's something you remember. It's something that you carry. Um, that you return to. And so um, 
I bring my work as a priestess into the world, not only working with prayer and intuition and the spiritual realm, but also being um, an advocate for social justice and um, talking about taboo topics that make people feel uncomfortable, that really have no place in making people feel uncomfortable because um, they're just part of our human experience. Um, and calling out systems of oppression, which I believe is also a big part of, of that work. Um, and so also I should mention having my own autoimmune disease um, has been a big impact. And the fact that I was diagnosed with my autoimmune disease when I was practicing a vegan diet, when I was finishing my certification as a holistic health coach and doing all the things. And it was now what I realized a result of lots of unprocessed stress and um, mind body dysregulation, not honoring my body, not heeding the signs and just wanting to follow um, the perfect plan, whatever that looked like every step of the way. So that's one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about dismantling perfectionism as well with my clients, because that's a huge uh, cause of stress and burnout as well. Mm, wow, thank you for sharing. Thank you. And yeah, hands up here, fully signed up member of like Perfectionist Anonymous Recovery. <laughs> yeah. Recovering Perfectionist Unite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing. So tell me a little bit about the wellness industry, because I'm fascinated what you shared about the sort of damage that you feel that industry does. And I know so many people, myself included, that have, or oh, if I just try this system, if I just try this system. So what is it that you've seen a little, tell me a little bit more about what you've seen for yourself and the clients that come to you around that and how it causes damage and limitation? Well, I think um, part of the problem is there's, there's an assumption that everyone has access to the same level of support, the same uh, level of resources um, that everyone can afford uh, to take 10 supplements instead of one prescription medication. Um, there's also an assumption that uh, it has to be an either or, you know, if you decide to take medication, it's because you haven't tried healing yourself naturally which is something I take big issue with. Um, full disclosure, I started taking an antidepressant for the first time in 12 years um, because of um, my own depression um, related to premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which anyone who's listening who has been diagnosed with premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, and if you feel like you have it under control like I did uh, throughout my 30s, but then are noticing changes as you approach 40 or are in your early 40s, um, that's likely due to perimenopause. And you know, the, the thing to remember about perimenopause is that although that in itself is not the cause for um, depression and anxiety, a new depression or a new anxiety diagnosis, if you have those things in your history already, a lot of times the symptoms will ramp up Due to the hormonal changes of perimenopause. And so I had to get to a point where I, you know, had to release the shame that I felt for not being able to figure out, as the wellness industry loves to say, the root cause, and just accept that even though I was meditating, exercising, eating whole foods, um, practicing self-care, doing all the things that 
I still needed the medication to save my life. And that's one of the biggest things that I, I have an issue with when it comes to the wellness industry is that it's this either or, you know, it's not both and. Um, when in fact, everything that I do in addition to the medication is contributing to my wellness. So I always, what I say is be your own advocate, be aware of the contributing factors. You know, I, I know, for example, that alcohol contributes to um, my mood disorder, right? So I stay away from alcohol. I can't expect to drink a bottle of wine every night and then say, oh, well, the medication is going to you know, take that away. No, it doesn't work that way. But at the same time, we can't say, well, as long as you take this supplement, avoid this food, everything's going to be fine. And if you're not feeling great, the responsibility is, is ultimately yours. You're just not doing the right thing. Um, there's a lot of healthism and ableism. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that, um, you know, I, I, as a differently abled person as well, um, I was born with a club foot, which um, has required five major surgeries to correct so that I can walk normally. Um, I have an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which is spinal arthritis. Um, and I have depression. And, you know, not everyone is coming to the world of wellness on the same playing field. <laughs> so, you know, um, advice is not always going to apply for everyone and um, can often do a lot of harm. And I think that that's um, what we really need to avoid is um, avoid and also recognize that when you have a, a chronic condition, um, dealing with that is enough. You don't need the shame of someone judging you or saying, haven't you tried this yet? Because that just adds to the burden, it adds to the stress. You mentioned some of the symptoms that your clients come to see you with. Mm -hmm. what what are the what are the common symptoms that they show up with well burnout really happens in four stages and in the first and second stages we can be in those for years and most of us ignore the signs because they're so normalized in 21st century mm -hmm. life so the first stage um starts with um being wired but tired so this is when you have a lot on your plate, um, but you also feel like it's, it's, it's almost exhilarating having the challenge to get it all done. And amongst my clients who are all high achievers, they typically like feeling validated for being able to do the big, the big thing, the hard thing, the, you know, um, give it all to me, I can take it on which works fine for a while, but then when you um, want to wind down, you realize that you are um, plagued by, you know, incessant thoughts of what you need to do, what you didn't finish, um, your head hits the pillow and you can't go to sleep as easily as you'd like, despite being physically exhausted, your mind is wide awake, you might have a feeling of hypervigilance. Um, the first stage is also when we tend to crave sugar um, or reach for other substances to numb the stress when it gets to be a little overwhel overwhelming when we're out of our window of tolerance. So we might uh, have coffee to 
give us that little push in the morning and then have alcohol to wind down at night um, or maybe that tub of ice cream that we pull out after the kids have gone to bed and we put on Netflix uh, while we scroll for a phone, you know, any of those numbing behaviors that um, truly are not regulating our nervous system, but they just feel like a brief escape. Then in the second phase, um, that's when we might have the feeling that we are at capacity and not doing things quite as well as we used to. We, my clients typically say that they're losing their edge because they're forgetting things more frequently. They might be mid-sentence and they're not quite sure why they started talking in the first place. Um, those of us who menstruate might be noticing um, more severe PMS, heavier periods, painful breasts, uh, things of that nature. A lot more reactive. Um, so you might feel like all of your emotions are right at the surface and things that you could normally take in your stride. You just feel like, why are you asking me that? I told you it would be done. Get off my case, that kind of energy. Um, and it's often when my clients really judge themselves for not being able to keep up as well as they used to or not being, um, especially those who are... Um, partners or mothers of small children, like, why, why am I being so mean? Um, because when we are chronically stressed, all of our uh, energy, you know, it's being, all of our hormones are really being diverted to um, the, the stress hormones, all of the, the resources are being diverted to creating more stress hormones. And so uh, progesterone, for example, which is a very grounding hormone um, that occurs after ovulation in the second half of the menstrual cycle, that gets shunted. Um, we don't get as much of it. Um, and that can also contribute to that feeling of irritability. Um, and then in the third stage, um, that's when it's not really an option to have coffee. <laughs> It's a necessity, and you might notice that it's not actually having any effect either. Um, it's making you anxious, but it's not giving you any energy. Um, the afternoon slump becomes very uh, apparent when you um, are kind of dragging through the morning, want to take a nap by three, push yourself, feeling like you've been in a fog, not really getting as much done as you'd like, but then all of a sudden at night, you're wide awake. So dysregulated cortisol is um, something that really happened in that third stage where you um, have energy right when you don't need it <laughs> late at night, and you, you don't have any when you truly do in the beginning of the day. Mm -hmm. um, you might also be feeling like... Um, you are um, experiencing symptoms of uh, suboptimal thyroid, so dry skin, hair loss, um, possible weight gain, um, depression, symptoms of depression can start showing up, symptoms of anxiety, um, slower cognitive uh, ability as well. You know, when the thyroid isn't working at optimal levels, nothing is, op is working at an optimal level. So even if you haven't been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, um, 
your body might be showing some of the symptoms of hypothyroidism. And then when you get to stage four, you are, um, you are burnt out and um, burnout in that case means full mind body dysregulation because everything has been um, directed towards keeping up with your demand for stress hormones. And at that point, um, all of the organs have suffered from that chronic level of stress in some way, whether it be the, the liver, the heart, the brain, the skin. Um, when we are in a state of chronic stress, um, that is the body's top priority. And since you know this podcast talks about sex, guess which takes priority over sex? Stress. <laughs> It's, it's like from a physiological perspective, your body's thinking, well, this is not a good time to have babies. So I guess we don't need to feel aroused. Um, and it's really also typical for um, your sex drive and your libido to just go missing um, because um, the other hormones are not working at optimal levels. Um, eventually, um, you know, estrogen, testosterone, um, both of those will um, fluctuate and, and decline as a result of chronic stress. Um, now, if we're in the years of perimenopause, even more so. <laughs> so that's why um, those of us who are um, over 35, especially those of us who are over 40, can be hit with a double whammy. Mm, wow. And, and so much of those sort of levels you describe of burnout. Um, are what people are just used to experiencing every day. I'm guessing so many people yeah. don't recognize it. They see that as modern society. They see that as their, I know I felt it. I must be failing. Why can't I do this? Why, why am I not got the energy and, and you put it all on yourself and not recognize Absolutely. it as burnout? Is that something you commonly find? Absolutely. Because another thing that happens with chronic stress is uh, something called thinking brain override where we latch on to our own personal stories or um, the societal narratives that have been shared with us around how much we should be able to handle, how we should keep on keeping on, how we just have to push through and basically ignore our body's signals in the name of getting more done. And we really can't talk about burnout in any sincere and authentic way without also addressing systems of oppression. Capitalism is everywhere. <laughs> and what, what does capitalism do? It encourages us to value ourselves by how uh, much and how fast we can produce something, how effective we can be as a worker, and also underlines the fact that we are replaceable. So whatever you can do, someone else can do better. And scarcity mindset is, is another thing that really contributes to burnout as well, because we always feel like, well, if, you know, if, if, I, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, if I don't do the most, then someone else is going to take my place. Um, fixed mindset is another one that greatly contributes to burnout, especially when you, um, when you combine it with obsessive passion. And this is something that gets a lot of entrepreneurs in trouble when you have decided, okay, I've made the leap, I'm starting my own business, 
this has to work. That's the fixed mindset. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I'm, I'm not going to put limits between my work life and my home life. I'm going to give myself, where do I start and my business stops? I don't know. Everything just becomes one because this is my life. That's obsessive passion. And one of the big misconceptions about burnout is that it happens as a result of doing things that we don't actually want to be doing. You know, the typical stereotype of my boss is asking me to do more than I can handle um, or I hate my job. And no, yes, that can happen. But a lot of the people I work with have reached a state of burnout as a result of doing things they, they really truly love. And they just haven't been able to say no um, because again, that thinking brain override. But don't you want this? Don't you want to do a little bit more? If you just pushed yourself a little bit harder, you could find, you get to the top of the mountain, right? And we often forget that to get to that, the top of whatever mountain it is we're climbing, we need our body supporting us in that adventure. And it's often much better to slow down and heed your body signals so that you can um, eventually accomplish more because you always need your body on your side. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to come back to that, but I'd also love to ask, how do you define burnout? Because... I think it's important to have an un a mutual understanding of that for the listeners of your, your version of burnout. <laughs> my, my definition of burnout is chronic stress without recovery. Mm. The World Health Organization definition is uh, exhaustion, um, negativity, a feeling of negativity towards work, um, and wanting to um, distance yourself from your job. And the third one is reduced professional efficacy. So exhaustion, feelings of negativity, and then feeling like you're not doing your job as well. Either feeling like it or just flat out not doing your job as well. Um, because when we're exhausted, we tend to um, miss deadlines, not put our maximum effort. Well, maybe it is our maximum effort, but not compared to two years ago, right? Um, it's, it's what we, it's the most we can do now, but compared to when we're running on all four cylinders, um, it's, it, our work tends to suffer. And, and that's what that refers to. But they say we should only use it in a, an occupational context. And I think that that, um, ignores and also um, makes people um, turn a blind eye to a lot of the symptoms of burnout because they think, well, um, my job isn't that demanding. But if we think of the, the last two years, maybe your job itself hasn't been that demanding, but your job within the context of the pandemic <laughs> has been demanding, or your job um, plus the childcare plus the uh, care of elderly parents has been demanding. Um, you know, and we also have to remember that. Um, I, I briefly mentioned this earlier, but 
when we talk about racism, sexism, heterosexism, ableism, these are all things that contribute to our experience of the workplace even before we do our job. And so a lot of people think, well, my job's my job is fine. Um, but you're working in an environment that doesn't respect people of color or that doesn't have a transparent policy when it comes to menopause, for example, um, or that uh, where there's perceived sexism. You know, we know that these things don't have to be experienced um, outright to trigger the stress response. You know, we just have to have the expectation or the perception of them happening or even be triggered by a past experience so that every time we enter that building, our stress response is activated. And so it might be minor in a 24 hour period, but then add that 24 hour period to another and another, and we get into years of this and our stress response is chronically activated. And that takes its toll if it's not addressed. So a big part of burnout is having the awareness of what's happening and saying, yeah, I have been chronically stressed because then we can make different choices and begin the re-regulation of uh, our bodies and minds. Wow, I'm gobsmacked at the limitedness of that definition by the World Health Organization. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? So chronic stress without recovery it doesn't matter who you are where you are what context it's in if you're experiencing that chronic stress and there's yeah. you're not finding a way out of it right now so if someone listening relates to that what might be some steps that they can take to start the recovery process well I think the first thing is to um start with the basics which for me are nutrition, movement, and sleep, because those are things that um, you can at least have some control over uh, in you know, an individual context. Um, and a lot of times we ironically will contribute to our physical stress when we try to take away our emotional stress. So what I mean by that is um, some of the foods that cause stress in the body are the ones we first reach to when we are out of our window of tolerance. The sugar, the alcohol, um, the refined, uh, refined carbs, you know, the gluten. Um, now all of us have a different tolerance for those things, but in general, um, it's we're really not doing ourselves any favors by um, relying on those as um, pacifiers, you know. So I'm not referring to having enjoying a glass of wine with friends. I'm talking about having a bottle of wine on your own at the end of the day, several days a week, because you need to check out, right? Um, also with sleep, getting ahead of that, you know, if you notice that you're getting a surge of energy at 10 p.m., instead of running with it, which a lot of us do because we feel like uh, we haven't had that energy throughout the day to do all the things that we want to do, or maybe we just haven't had time in the day to relax and enjoy ourselves, you know, it's it's like, okay, well, I've 
I've had to take care of all of these responsibilities. I haven't had a chance for fun. Now 10 o'clock's here and I should be in bed, but wouldn't it be more fun to you know, stay awake and do something for myself when everyone else is asleep? Um, I, I use that as an example because I have done that myself many times. <laughs> um, as a single mom running my own business, there have definitely been times where I felt like I haven't had any time to myself all day. And rather than going to sleep, which is something I really do not enjoy, um, I have stayed awake. And that is something that we really want to, uh, it's, a, it's one of the simplest ways to support your hormones is to stick to a regular bedtime, stick to a regular wake up time, um, including on the weekends, supporting your circadian rhythm um, by exposing yourself to daylight first thing, you know, within that first hour of the day, um, preferably getting outside within that first hour of the day, um, eating, um, at regular intervals, a lot of times my clients will forgo breakfast um, because they just don't feel hungry or because they're trying to do intermittent fasting and, you know, following one of those trends. And um, if you feel like you are experiencing symptoms of burnout, your adrenal glands do not need you to intermittent, intermittent fast. They need you to eat at regular intervals and for those intervals to be predictable day in and day out. Um, and movement. And this is where a lot of my clients get in trouble, to be honest, because they want to do the most and they think that they are getting out of shape when their bodies feel depleted after a workout, when in reality, they just need to do a little less and let their bodies recover a little more. So. Um, while all movement is beneficial, um, when we are in the throes of burnout, rest trumps movement. And one of the best ways to figure out if you're doing the um, appropriate amount of exercise is to gauge your, your energy level after you finish your workout. Has it given you more energy or do you feel like you're drained? Because if you feel like you're drained, even if you, in your mind, you know, again, it's that uh, that mind that likes to add its own narrative to all of this. Even if in your mind you think, oh, that wasn't anything. If your body is tired, then that's a sign that you need to dial things back. Mm -hmm. And that can be really frustrating, especially to my clients who have uh, enjoyed really hardcore workouts in the past to recognize that they actually have to slow down can feel like a failure. And it's not a failure. Um, it's just an adjustment and eventually it will come back. But again, one of the most confronting things about burnout is recognizing, especially for high achievers, that the mind is not the boss anymore. Mm. That the body has to take the lead. And what the body wants is not always what the mind desires and so really renegotiating that relationship can be a challenge um so beyond the basics uh, i also like to work on boundaries and when people talk about boundaries often they think well relationships with other people 
But when dealing with burnout, a lot of the most important boundaries are the ones that we have with ourselves. And where we're going to say no to things that um, are not serving us. Going to bed at a certain time, you know, that's a that's a self boundary. Um, saying no to um, the harmful substances or the, um, you know, when we realize that we are eating to numb and not for pleasure. Um, when um, we really want to do a little bit more on that project that we're feeling passionate about, but we know that it's time to call it a day. Um, and then, of course, the boundaries with other people, which you know, recognizing, yes, I actually do need to slow down or no, I can't be available to you right now. Or actually, I had planned that time um, for myself and you know, you, you don't have to say it, but because I need to rest, <laughs> right? So rest is another thing that's, that's really key to prioritize that can make a lot of my clients feel uncomfortable because when they start resting, they feel like they're failing because a lot of us have been taught that slowing down is not achieving as much. Um, but rest is also essential for getting out of the stress response for getting out of that feeling of hypervigilance. Um, and along with rest is, you know, engaging in activities that are pleasurable, that feel fun, um, that um, we are doing simply out of joy or creativity. These are also really important things to reconnect with when we've been stuck in the stress cycle because our, our bodies can feel that we are starting to unwind. Um, and connecting with nature as well is really powerful for that. Um, you know, grounding, taking your shoes off and feeling your feet in the sand or the mud or wherever it is that, you know, you live um, that would be appropriate, but really reconnecting with that energy of mother earth can be highly restorative. Um, those are some of the things that uh, that come to mind. Um, in addition to a big one, which I can't believe I almost forgot, self-compassion. Self-compassion, practicing self-compassion at all points of your journey um, is key because when we practice self-compassion, we are acknowledging how we really feel. We are connecting it to the human experience and we are being kind to ourselves. And so many of us um, get on the train towards burnout because we, we convince ourselves that if only we did something different, then we wouldn't be falling behind. Um, if only we pushed ourselves a little harder, then um, we could get back to where we once were, you know? And, and that's the thing with burnout is a lot of times we actually have to pull back before we can move ahead. Because the harder we keep pushing ourselves from that place of depletion, the more we're running ourselves into the ground. And that's when the really serious health diagnoses can, can come in. Um, and I'll raise my hand and say that that's what happened to me in 2012. Um, it's not really a surprise to me, looking back, the way that I was treating my body. Um, 
and the you know that the the extremes that I was pushing it to. Um, but now that I I know how to live from a state of of balance, um, I'm I'm happy to say that my my body has responded in kind. And while I do have an occasional flare, it's not something that's uh, that that rules over my life um, anymore. Um, but yeah, it just starts with that commitment to do things differently, making those small steps and reaching out for help, reaching out for help because we, we really don't have to go through this alone. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do is that I can accompany people mm -hmm. on that journey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and so many of the things that you shared and, you know, particularly sleep, exercise, nutrition, rest, kindness are things that are so depleted in our society full stop, even if you yeah. aren't experiencing burnout. And I'm guessing that, de well, that depletion is a good cause of why so many people are heading towards mm -hmm. or experiencing burnout. And I work with so many people who part of the work is about addressing what's the purpose of rest why is it important because it can feel mm -hmm. such a radical thing to give yeah. yourself space for rest I mean I had to really learn it for myself I was a proper total achiever working all the hours God sends and it was my daughter and being a single mum that bought snapped me out of that mm -hmm. um, and so just wanted to emphasize the importance of those things for people listening for just everybody because yeah. we're not raised to do those we don't have the role models around seeing that happen a lot in life and and we have yeah. to often learn it so yeah yeah well and and listening to you share that Sarah I, I was reminded that you know there's such an emphasis on individualism in our society, it's, you know, you should be able to do everything on your own these days. And we need the support of communities. And um, that's something that I, I really would like to see return. Um, but uh, I feel like there's just a lot of self-blame, uh, misplaced blame and unearned guilt when um, we were never meant to do a lot of this alone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that blame and shame and guilt then stops people reaching out for help, stops people mm -hmm. having conversations. And, you know, you might be surrounded by friends experiencing this. I have yeah. similar conversations with people about sex because mm -hmm. clients imagine that all their friends are having this amazing time. And yeah. actually, so many clients have then braved bringing the subject up with their friends to find out they're having problems. And it's blown their mind that all the time they've been keeping this thing a secret full of shame when it's been happening to people around them. So it just yeah. takes one, doesn't it, to hold the hand out and say, I, I'd love to talk about this. I'm feeling this and to have that acknowledgement to not feel so alone with it. So yeah, absolutely. Communities of support. Yeah. Mm. And so what are the, um, 
early warning signs, and you touched on this, but just to be sort of bring it more explicit into the fore about the early warning signs of burnout that people can watch out for and um, address to stop it heading to stage three or four if they're sort of in stage yeah. one or two. Yeah, well, um, the sleep thing is a big red flag when you see that your your sleep is changing um, and you are going to bed feeling hypervigilant or having trouble falling asleep or consistently waking up around, well, between 2 and 4 a.m., that's a big uh, red flag uh, that your cortisol is becoming dysregulated when you're consistently waking up at 3 a.m., when you are taking a really long time to wake up in the morning, um, when you set your alarm and it's just snooze after snooze after snooze, and then you really don't feel like you've hit your stride until the second cup of coffee, um, we really should have a good get up and go within that first 30 minutes. Um, but again, that's another thing that's very normalized in our society. Sugar cravings, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the afternoon, if you feel like every day you need something sweet to take the edge off. And I'm not talking about um, enjoying mindfully uh, a nice piece of chocolate or, or something like that. I'm talking about like, I have to have that donut or, you know, or I'm going to tear someone's head off. Um, or when you're depending on sugar for energy, that's another one. When you feel like you're just dragging through the afternoon and you're becoming dependent on sugar or caffeine as a pick-me-up. Brain fog um, and feeling like your thoughts are not coming to you as uh, quickly or as cohesively as they used to, or maybe you're reading a book uh, especially for those of us who do a lot of reading or writing, um, the ideas aren't coming or you're getting to the end of the page and like, what did I just read? I have no idea. You try again. It's like, okay, still don't know. Um, those can often be warning signs that are um, ignored. And then for those of us who menstruate, changes in your menstrual cycle, um, if you are noticing that you have more painful periods, that you have more severe PMS, um, heavier periods. These are all signs that um, your body is also heading towards um, the later stages of burnout, or at least that your body is experiencing stress in some way. Um, the menstrual cycle really can give us clues um, as to the internal state of the body, regardless of what our mind is trying to convince us, convince us of. Um, and yeah, those, those would be the things that I would say to really watch out for. And, um, you know, in terms of uh, libido, you might notice changes there as well. But um, uh, when we talk about sex, as I'm sure you know, Sarah, we, we don't all just look at hormone levels. We also have to look at context mm -hmm. and um, chronic stress, regardless of how it affects your hormones. Um, is often going to take us out of the mood simply because our minds are not able to be present or receptive to lovemaking. Um, so those are some things to be aware of. Yeah, um, I love the story that um, 
Emily Nagelski recounts in yes. her book, Burnout, because um, mm -hmm. Emily Nagelski, if you don't know, wrote a brilliant book called Come As You Are, the surprising new science that will transform your sex life, something like that. Yeah, and I have then, it behind me on my bookshelf. <laughs> oh yeah, I can see the spine. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and when Emily did the book tour, promoting the book um, about, in, and in the chapter, uh, there was a chapter on Come As You Are about stress and emotions. Mm -hmm. And readers yeah. were sharing that that was the most significant thing that they took away from that book. And, yeah. you know, I find so many people have come to me over the years not associating stress and exhaustion with the fact that they don't feel like having any sex at all and they haven't got yeah. feeling any desire and yeah. so it's um the two are so 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 interlinked and Absolutely. yeah just knowing that that is part of the picture is 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 can help people to just feel okay there's more to this than something wrong with me which is the yeah. often default place that that um, people go to um, mm. so anything else you'd love to share about burnout or burnout recovery any other of your wisdom that, that's yeah <laughs> no, I was I was thinking um, that we've we've really touched on the key points um, but I think that that's it, it, when we talk about sex, it's really important to remember that um, the more we pressure ourselves to perform, the less desire we're likely to have. And also, um, I think when I was younger, I had certain ideas about what sex drive looked like in men, and that they would always be interested. And I think that sometimes my uh, clients who are in relationships with men who are not fully aware of how stressed out their partners are, think that the problem is them, that they as a female partner are no longer desirable or that they're not doing enough or that, you know, this myth of as we age as women, we're not as attractive, which is total BS. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we've come, become even more desirable because we're even more embodied and <laughs> hopefully confident of how um, much we bring to this world. But, um, you know, I, we also have to recognize that uh, if our partner is stressed, they are most likely going to um, have a lower level of desire as well. Mm. And it's not our fault. <laughs> um, and so whether we're the stressed out partner or the partner who um, would like to be supportive, we have to focus on communication, honest communication, um, compassion, understanding and and perhaps um, letting our sex life um, take on a different um, um, flavor or um, you know just look different be willing for it to look different for a time be flexible with it um, because, uh, you know, especially in perimenopause, some of the things that stimulated you before are not going to work um, in the same way. 
and you have to get creative, but it all starts with open and honest communication, um, as I'm sure you talk about a lot, Sarah. Um, so yeah, I think that's the last thing that I would add. Yeah, that, that's thank you for bringing that in because whether it's stress, whether it's experiencing an illness, results of medications, big life changes, so many things can happen that um, bring that more new opportunity for, for our sex life rather than it being, and it might not be easy at all and it might stop for a while and all sorts, but rather than seeing it as you spoke, to, spoke, spoke about before, the fixed brain, people have a yeah. very fixed view of this is our sex life forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and actually it morphs and sometimes I've worked with many people through different health challenges and all sorts of things where actually they've got really creative and are enjoying things that they're like, why didn't I know about this 20 years ago? And, yeah. <laughs> but it's only yep. going to happen with open communication for sure. So, mm -hmm. so you mentioned something else I'd really love to talk to you about, and that's midlife perimenopause, menopause. And mm -hmm. um, you've got some really great content on Instagram about all of what we've spoken about, but there's also a lot of it around, around midlife. And one of the yeah. things that you had on a, a reel the other day was just, you know, finally having the courage to be who you are. And mm -hmm. I, as you, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing and many other um, women I'm blessed to know are really rewriting the script of what's possible for men menopause compared to generations before us. So I'd love to hear your view on it because we still have a, a, a dominant narrative that it is a, 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 you know, the change and all these horrible words for it and how it's viewed so I'd love to to hear your yeah. take on it yeah I have um a square on my Instagram that says um the more visible you become to yourself the more invisible I'll make you feel signed sincerely the patriarchy <laughs> and that is um that's the truth I mean it's very it, it's designed to be that way. I think it's the most ludicrous thing that we buy into because as I get older, I just feel more confident in who I am, um, more willing to be open and vulnerable, more um, connected with my true purpose and my power as a human being. And I think that that's how a lot of us, if we, you know, mute out the noise about high um, minds and um, weight gain and gray hair and you know all of the, it's just it's just a means to divide and distract us. Like in all stages of womanhood, really, um, that stuff is just designed to divide and distract us because. When, um, when we realize that all of it is irrelevant um, and that we're really here to be expressions of the divine um, and not judged for how many pounds are on the scale or how many gray hairs we have to hide. I think that's when we find inner peace. And also it allows us to 
just really have these open and honest conversations so that younger women don't have to buy into the same lies, you know. Um, that's one of the things that I really enjoy is when I talk to my clients who are still in their 20s and 30s and I can share my wisdom with them and I'm like, I'm starting revolutions here. <laughs> because I bought into so many lies. Um, in my house, there were very conservative gender roles and um you know, even listening to some of the things that my mother says to her, says about herself to this day, just break my heart because she still thinks that um, they matter, you know, and um, I always like to say when, when you go and everyone is talking about you at your funeral, if the best thing they have to say about you is that you always fit into a size six jean, something went horribly wrong. <laughs> it's like, what is it that you want to be remembered for? Midlife is a great time to really focus on your legacy. What is it that you're here to create? Who is it that you're here to help? How are you here to be of lasting service to the world? And that's what motivates me to get out of bed every morning. Um, because the fact is your body is going to change that's the nature of bodies the bodies you know my body is different from when we started this conversation Sarah um, I don't know about yours but no. <laughs> everybody's body is constantly changing and so the more we latch on to this idea that we have to um, that we can't age that we have to be the same that um, we peaked in our 20s I mean the only thing that peaked in our 20s was our bone mass but other than that <laughs> I think everything is just getting better um so yeah that's that's my perspective on that mm, thank you I I totally agree and and you know just I know it's for some people it's a massive transition and a huge and bumpy and very very uncomfortable one and one that's again all the all the things that we've shared in this call and your wisdom around rest and boundaries and all of these sort of things and I am blessed to be surrounded by so many women who are 10 years down the line, you know, in their sixties, mm. late fifties. And just like, they're just, they're just living their most incredible life. And, and I never thought I'd be heading towards 50 and really looking forward to it because <laughs> that's yeah. not what I was raised to experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, thank you for saying that Sarah, because menopause symptoms are very real. Right, perimenopause symptoms can be incredibly disruptive, painful, emotionally, physically. Um, I don't want to discount that. However, um, it's also a time of life where our priorities become very clear. What we care about most becomes very clear because we don't have the same capacity and the same energy level as before. And so we have to really be honest with where we want to be, who we want to spend our time with. And then once we get into the post-menopause phase, um, which is when you've gone 12 months without a period, um, things stabilize a lot. And that's, you know, we talk about post-menopausal zest, but for me, post-menopausal zest is not an accident. 
Postmenopausal zest happens as a result of the work that you did in those years of perimenopause when your body was not doing what you expected, but you chose to be compassionate, you chose to work with it, you chose to do what you could and let the rest go, you chose to um, release who you've been so that you could embrace who you're becoming um, and, and have the courage to be in the world as you are truly meant to be. Um, as opposed to um, some, someone just grasping, grasping at um, who they've been. And I think that that's one of the most important things that we, we can do in perimenopause is practice that, you know, there's, there's grief there. Yep, there's lots of grief there, but ultimately it's a release. It's a release and it's a surrender into, into the unknown. Um, and we can rise higher as a result of that. Thank you so much. What a beautiful place to bring this to a close. So I'd love to ask uh, one final question is, <laughs> what does living a sexy life mean to you? In the broadest oh. of senses. <laughs> <laughs> a, living a sexy life means always prioritizing pleasure. Whatever that means to me from day to day, whether that be um, having an orgasm, savoring something delicious, using my favorite body oil and having that sensual contact with my body, wearing clothes that make me feel beautiful or jewelry. I also love jewelry. Um, but yeah, just taking every day as an opportunity to experience pleasure and that extra bit of sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And where can listeners find you online? And have you got anything um, specifically alive in your work at the moment you'd love to share around? People can find me at uh, jolindajohnson.com or on, well, I should say, you can find me on jolindajohnson.com where I have a free five-part video series all about perimenopause. Mm -hmm. um, I am also on Instagram at Coach Jolinda where I have um, lots of resources around burnout uh, and perimenopause and midlife. Um, so I suggest you find me there and I always welcome a DM. Um, and I have a group program um, called Emerge specifically for those who are in a period of transition, um, who are looking to focus on things like self-compassion, boundaries, self-leadership, supportive routines. Um, it's all about releasing who you've been to reveal who you've becoming, who you're becoming. And that uh, that kicks off next month. So yeah, I, I would love to connect with if anyone has heard something that sparked their interest or they would just like to say hi, then um, feel free to connect with me on Instagram. Um, I'm there every day or on my website. Mm, wonderful. And I'll put all the links in the show notes as well so people can find you easily there. 
So thank you so, so much for your time and your energy today. It's been really wonderful. And I feel there's so much wisdom in this call for those listening. And so thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sarahrosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.